Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Tasty Tidbits Podcast. Get ready to receive rich, well-seasoned, and tasteful tidbits to transform your life. Each week, Dr. Tiffany comes to you with inspirational encouragement and thought-provoking interviews to help you revolutionize your walk with God. Are you hungry for more of His presence? Then get ready. And now, your host, pastor, author, and motivational speaker, Dr. Tiffany Watkins. Hello, everyone, and welcome again, and thank you for joining us on our podcast for Tasty Tidbits again. We want to thank all the listeners that have joined on for this past month. We have had some great interviews with the many people that have came on and talked about their experiences with domestic violence and how they were able to make it through and how they were able to get counseling. And I'm excited on today because I have with me Dr. Benjamin Keyes, who will be talking with us and sharing with us some of the things that will be helpful as far as domestic violence is concerned and the experiences that we may have gone through. And so I want to give you a little bit of information about Dr. Keyes, and then we'll let him give a little bit about himself. But Dr. Benjamin Keyes, um, I was able to talk to him, and just a loving person, and he's a director of the Center of Trauma and Resiliency Studies at Divine Mercy. University, and one of the things that I really enjoy about him is that we we thought, talk, they said the same thing about teaching. We love to teach and see others um, be able to be helped. But Dr. Benjamin Key specializes in also in dissociative disorders, domestic violence, child abuse addictions, and mood and anxiety disorders. Dr. Keyes received his doctorate in the rehabilitation counseling in 1985 from the International College, and his more recent in counseling psychology from the University of Sarasota in 2003. Also, over the years, Dr. Keyes has worked extensively with hospital programs, practices, and private practices, and has established himself as one of the leading program innovators for hospitalization programs. One thing that I'm really enjoying and what I saw about Dr. Keyes as well is that uh, he also received the Hope Award for the Restoration Ministries for his work in establishing a trauma model for working with traffic survivors and severe trauma. And I know this is a major issue that is going on today. And so with that being said, uh, Dr. Keyes, I know I have told the listeners a little bit about yourself, but why don't you tell us what you're really involved in right now? And Well, thank you for that <laughs> nice introduction. <laughs> um, currently has been very busy. Um, uh, as you might know, I'm also the executive director of the Green Cross Academy of Traumatology. And we've been sending teams out to Oregon to uh, support the efforts of the first responders and the uh, survivors of the fires that are out there. And um, we've had uh, we've had three teams so far, ten days each, and um, we're actually finishing up uh, being out there because the the fire at this point is contained and. We are sort of stand-in. We do work with uh, with first responders and, and folks in the area of compassion fatigue and of um, uh, doing field work. 
and just trying to get them stabilized uh, during times of crisis and uh, trauma. Um, that's taken up a lot of time, getting those teams out there and just really working with that and then monitoring them uh, while they're in the field. Uh, but they've done a, a they've done a fabulous job. Lots of contacts, lots of support, lots of people. Um, I've also involved, been involved with a human trafficking group called Uncaged. This is a Christian organization um, that is currently uh, their main uh, base is actually in Romania right now, uh, where they're developing a program that hopefully will be getting referrals from all over Europe and beyond, um, and, and they're already uh, uh, unfortunately coming in. Uh, but uh, Uncaged uh, saw the model that I had developed in, uh, for trafficking, liked it enough to have it as one of the centerpieces of their treatment model, and so we'll eventually be going out there to train folks in uh, not only how to do the model, but how to understand the model. Uh, because it's designed to work with folks who have experienced complex trauma. And of course, trafficking survivors have undergone just tremendous amount of trauma uh, mm. where they're, I mean, they're raped at least 10 times an evening. Um, by the people that they're servicing. They're often beaten and mishandled, and um, it's just horrible what they go through. And um, very, very happy to be a part of that process in developing, uh, uh, helping them to develop their program. Um, and, of course, being at the university, I'm teaching, I'm uh, working with the center, we train uh, the community as well as our students in all aspects of trauma so that they have um, certifications and specialties as they are able to go into their practices. They are trauma-informed and can address the needs of the churches and the, the ministries and the counseling centers that they'll be working in in the future. Wow, that's an amazing work that you're doing, and I congratulate you for that. I'm very interested in um, the work that you're doing with the traffic survivors, and so hopefully I can get more information um, from you about that. Um, yeah, and absolutely. I know that, yeah, and um, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on today is because this month is Domestic Violence Month, and I see a lot of um, women and men who have some type of domestic violence, and we don't talk about it a lot often in the churches. And I actually came across uh, you one time on CBN. I saw you had did your interview, and so I thought that was a blessing. So that's how I said, well, I have to get Dr. Keys on to talk to the people because a lot of people come to me and, you know, and they – say how they've experienced it, but it's just good to hear other people talk about it to let them know that they're not alone. And so with that being said, I wanted to ask you, and because I know you've had a lot of experience dealing with domestic violence, um, how big is domestic violence in Christian marriages uh, today, and, and why do you think that's so? Oh, my goodness. Um, the, the, the statistics are actually pretty staggering. Um, <sighs> Domestic violence is, is one of these scourges. Uh, as you know, I do a lot of international work, and um, 
I have not been to a country yet where I have not been asked to present on and to talk about domestic violence, because in many countries around the world, domestic violence is the norm. Uh, it's expe- it's almost mm-hmm. expected. I, I, I was recently in Kenya where um, I was talking about uh, how things are structured with families and so forth, and what I was told was that in many of the tribes, when a man becomes engaged just before the marriage, it's expected that before the marriage he will visit his uh, bride-to-be and basically beat her up so that oh, she knows no. her place and so that so that she knows her place and what? i was just aghast <laughs> um oh my and, goodness and then of course if, if if in the marriage the the wife does not do what the uh the husband says she's often beaten and told to straighten up pastors support this, as does uh, most of the uh, community, because they'll tell her to straighten up and get her act together and, and so forth, and it perpetuates. Uh, the laws in Kenya have changed. The laws reflect the way things are here in the United States, but they're not enforced by the judges. And so there's, they've got women have no place to go because they're stuck. But you're seeing, uh, you're seeing even in Kenya, shelters pop up and um, counseling centers uh, being established for women. Um, I presented in an area just outside of uh, Nairobi where I challenged the pastors to get ahead of the curve. And what I told them basically was that the things are going to happen to them very much like it happened here in the United States. In the 1970s, because of the women's movement, the laws changed on domestic violence here in the United States. But it wasn't until the late 80s, early 90s that they were enforced because there were two major cases that I remember that that were running through the courts and the women won because the laws had changed and they were on their side and they won a large amount of money. And all of a sudden, judges around the country were enforcing the law. Mm-hmm. And uh, in 1985, um, there was a project in Duluth, Minnesota, that developed a treatment model that has been used ever since and there's been a number of programs that have done spin-offs from it, but it's all basically the same thing. Uh, looking at relationships from a balanced uh, relationship position, both men and women, and how do we maintain um, a balanced relationship that gets us out of a power and control dynamic? Right. And all of, a su- all of a sudden, in treatment programs in churches, you started to hear um, uh, hear about this model. Now, there, obviously, there was some pushback in a lot of churches because they felt that, well, the men should be in control and should be making the decision. And yet, a truly bar- balanced marriage, a truly balanced relationship, decisions are made together. And, um, you know, it's, uh, I, I, I'm always reminded of the um, uh, Ephesians 5, you know, where it says, Wives, 
uh, submit yourselves unto your husband. But the second part of that verse says, as Christ submitted himself unto the church. And the example, to, the example to us is that Jesus called us brothers and sisters. He said, greater things will you do than I. He, you, we will be joint heirs to the kingdom. Now, that's either real or it's not. Right. And the example, and the example was that even though he is still the head of the church, he comes to us alongside of us. And that's the illustration of a, a godly marriage, is that the two partners are in agreement side by side and that they share the decisions. Right, right. And so do but you yeah, see this uh, common in America as well? Uh, domestic violence, absolutely. In fact, the statistics show that... <laughs> it's actually a slightly higher percentage of domestic violence in Christian homes than there are in secular homes. Oh, it's like, wow. Uh, it's like 54% uh, in, in Christian homes, and it's like 51% in non-Christian homes, um, where some type of domestic violence in the course of the marriage will happen. And... I mean, it's insidious. It's 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 emotional abuse. It's physical abuse. It's sexual abuse. And basically, the dynamic is power and control. It's getting getting your partner to do something that they don't want to do, and finding a way to coerce or manipulate or control or threaten to get them to do it. Right. And they use the scriptures. Do they often use the uh, scriptures to support or back it up. Do you notice that? Oh, absolutely. I um, I ran I ran uh, batterers groups for 19 years for the state of Florida, and in doing that, um, I, I ran groups for both men and women because there are women perpetrators. Um, but I'll talk about that more later. Um, and I've had pastors that were arrested for domestic violence come in and quote that very scripture. And I said, Pastor, do you even understand that scripture? Right. Now, I, I, I can say that. I, I, I am ordained. I, uh, I have doctoral degrees in theology. So I, I've done my work here. Um, and there, there's n- nothing there that shows a hierarchy in 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 marriage it's it's a partnership mm-hmm. and and even mm-hmm. if you go back to jewish tradition jewish tradition was always a a side-by-side partnership women had the same rights as men did in the marriage wow but that's like i said um I wanted to see, because I know that, you know, and I've heard it before that a lot of times that um, even with women that have gone through it, uh, they just have been told that they have to submit because that's their place. They have to be able to submit and just pray about it and that the Lord will deal with it, you know, but they continue to go through the same thing over and over again. And they experience, and not only the physical abuse, um, but the emotional abuse, 
Um, what are the traumatic effects for the victims who experience not only the physical abuse but the emotional abuse? Well, emotional abuse is probably far more devastating than the physical abuse. I've I've heard women say to me, you know, give me a, a, a you know, hurt me, beat me anytime rather than call me names, tear me down. Um, uh, the 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 damage to the person's self-esteem, the damage to uh, how they see themselves is just uh, uh, devastating uh, and can be crippling in a lot of ways, both socially and professionally. Um, and that's really uh, why, you know, the balance, balance to relationships, you know, when we talk about equality in relationships, we're not talking anything liberal here. We're talking respect of each other. We're talking good communication. We're talking a balance in the home. Um, like I said, we're not we're not you know trying trying to uh, you know overthrow systems. We're we're trying to put decency into relationships. Right. Right. And that's so true. You know, um, and one of the things that I think that um, people need to hear as well is that it, it doesn't only just happen to um, the women, and like you alluded to earlier, it also happens to the men. Um, how often have you come across domestic violence abuse among the men victims, um, and how were they able to get help? Because a lot of times um, men who are um, victims of domestic violence you know, it's a shame there, and they don't want to come forward. How do you guys deal with that, and, you know, what could they do to help get help on that? Well, for men, truly, shame is is, is uh, a significant issue, um, both in, in uh, especially if there was any kind of arrest or, um, you know, it, any kind of public exposure. But... More importantly, the the shame seeps into their their very lives and how they deal with relationships and how they deal with their spouse and their children. Um, so that's got to be addressed for survivors. You know what's interesting with women is that when they retaliate, when are when they are violent, seventy percent of the time it's in retaliation to abuse that they've already received from their partner. Or it's in self self defense, oh. um, and so uh, uh, that that's not to say that there are not women perpetrators that you know do this uh, because it's how they control the relationship. But most of the time, it's it's in response to things that have already happened to them. And again, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the result then is that this ends up being really more of a male issue, far more than it is a female issue. But when, when men, are, men are the victims, um, a, lot of, a lot of work has to be done, first of all, for them to be able to protect themselves, to get to safety, and then uh, part of part of the work is learning to have appropriate boundaries and to leave situations when they don't feel safe to walk away 
And sometimes walking away can be dangerous because the other person doesn't want you to walk away. They want you to resolve it right then and there. So it's learning how to do that safely without without having to uh, be violent with each other and to be able to table things, but with the proviso that you're coming back to resolve it, but just not when things are heated. There, there's a pattern to domestic violence, and you don't want to you don't want to be in the phase where things are building, the tension is building, uh, or things have been violent. Um, you really want to be in a neutral place where everybody is safe and everybody is calm and to work out what the differences are, to work out what the issues are, and uh, to do that with appropriate boundaries that say, you know, I don't have to violate the relationship. I mean, domestic violence can be as invasive as an affair and more so because wow. because it because uh, you know with with physical abuse you can see that there are marks to that but emotional abuse you don't see that and outside people don't most of the time don't even know what's going on because it's hidden mm-hmm. and so the 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 victim is left isolated and alone and struggling without really having any solid place that they know of that they can reach out and connect and and there are so many resources out there for for especially for women. Um, there are limited resources for men, unfortunately. But uh, in in cases of true true uh, abuse, um, they can be supported through the same funds uh, that are granted to shelters for women. Wow. And and do you think it's more emotional um, manipulative? Um, the abuse with the men as far as the female perpetrators, they're more emotionally abusive and more uh, manipulative towards the men? Um, I would say that 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 shows up more often than just physical violence, that there's far more uh, emotional abuse, and that builds up over time. Now, one of the things about domestic violence is that without an intervention, once it started, it'll just grow. And it, 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 over time, it gets more and more severe, more and more difficult until either the partner says enough and they leave the relationship uh, or they are incapacitated or killed. Um, it's... it's it, 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 it really devastates the family completely. And, and the children are just as involved in this because when they see domestic violence, they are the next generation that is going to follow the same pattern. They're the next generation of perpetrators and victims. And it's unfortunate because they're imprinted with it, especially at young ages. Um, three, four years old, um, uh, they are imprinted with this. And when they get into their early relationships in their teens or early 20s, they're going to follow the same pattern that they've been imprinted on all those years ago. And, you know, I, I know that to be true, Dr. Keyes, because when I was doing an interview, my sister actually went through a relationship uh, with domestic violence, and we did an interview with her, um, and she was about 18 or 19 and had gotten a relationship because even in our home um, where we were growing up, 
Um, my mother experienced a, a series of domestic violence uh, for a period of her life, and, you know, mm-hmm. she geared towards more towards those abusive relationships. And me, on the other hand, I was more protective. I didn't want to, you know, I always thought somebody would be abusive, so I was very careful about those relationships. And so that is true. It seems like you draw that type of relationship, especially if you've experienced that in the home. And so that is a, that is a good point. Have you ever just, um, th- does that case come to mind of a man that has actually been a victim of domestic violence? Do you have any or, or stories that you may have heard? Oh, I multiple stories. I had, uh, I, I used to run groups for survivors, um, and we would have men frequently uh, as, as part of those groups. Um, um, most of the time, and, and I think this is true of both partners, most of the time they want to try to work things out. And, you know, it's interesting, in the early days of domestic violence, they, uh, they would have both the, the uh, perpetrator and the victim go to counseling together um, in an attempt to save the relationship. And what would happen is, the, the partner who had been uh, abused would open up first usually and then explain everything that happened and show the marks and bruises. And the next week she would come back wearing sunglasses or uh, long shirts to cover up or <laughs> and be withdrawn and quiet because when she got home, she was beaten. Right. That happens, that happens in reverse as well. You know, why did you say this? Why did you tell them everything? Why did you... Uh, uh, and, and it just builds from there. So they right. stopped doing that, and they required the, 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 they required the batterer to have to attend. Uh, it's usually a six-month program in the state of California. It's a year, um, and that's mandated. If they do not complete they are immediately uh, put in prison and to serve, it, to serve out whatever the, um, uh, the time would be. Or if it was uh, sort of a pre-adjudication, um, they would then go to trial immediately. Wow. And that was going to be my next question. You know, um, do a lot go voluntarily? you know, voluntarily to rehabilitation or most of them have to be mandated? Most of them end up having to be mandated because most of them believe they're right. And that's, that's part of this is, you know, there's, there's that, um, you know, I want what I want when I want it. And, uh, or, you know, they're so frustrated with each other that they take swing at each other or throw something at each other. You know, it's interesting that it's, it's not, you think of physical violence as hitting or pushing, but things like uh, driving, driving recklessly in a car because you're angry mm-hmm. is, considered to, is considered physical domestic violence or blocking a doorway to keep somebody from leaving a room or grabbing somebody's wrists as they're walking out and saying, no, I want you to stay here and work this out. And right. you, uh, in in almost every state, you'll be immediate. You'll be arrested uh, if uh, the police show up and they investigate what's going on, because many states have what's called a mandated arrest policy, where 
if there's any sign of domestic violence whatsoever. Uh, something's broke, uh, bruise, whatever. Uh, one or both are going to uh, to jail. Right. Wow. And so how, and I'm not sure if you can answer it. I'm sure you can. Um, how successful is, are the rehabilitation treatment programs for those that complete it? That's one of my favorite questions, actually, so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, these programs are so well designed that the material really sells itself. And I know that I, 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 I was trained in the, the original Duluth model, and uh, uh, we did a follow-up study one and then five years out, and what they found was that uh, 70% of those that completed the program never reoffended again. Oh, my goodness. 70%? Yes. What we also found was that almost 80% of those that dropped out, didn't complete, or however that happened, did reoffend. And the percentages are actually higher in California um, because they have that extra time. That extra time really solidifies the material. I, I think most people are willing to change. They just don't know how. And mm-hmm. so if you give them a pathway to, to making that change and they are able to do that, then it stays. It solidifies. Wow, that is very interesting. That's the that's great news. Seventy percent, if they complete it, you know, never reoffend again. That's great information because a lot of times we hear, you know, and you see that it seems like you know they'll go to treatment and it's not working. But according to statistics from what you've revealed today, seventy percent uh, actually never reoffend, which is a great um, news for everyone. Yeah, I will tell you though there is a high attrition <laughs> um, in running those groups. There, I would say easily sixty to seventy percent ended up dropping out, not completing. Mm-hmm. They got frustrated with it. They got rearrested for something else. Um, just a lot of reasoning. Right. Um, but I, I, you know, and and I always held on to that because the. Um, I, I think it's hopeful for relationships. I think it's hopeful for people who are struggling with this. But all too often, you know, they you try to put a Band-Aid on it, so you go to counseling. Um, mm-hmm. And what's worse is you go to counseling together, and that's just not appropriate for, for someone who has perpetrated uh, because it's not going to stop unless they get help. And their help has to be different than the help that the victim gets because the victim has to learn to stand up on her own two feet and be able to say what she wants and what she needs. And if she's not getting it, make some decisions about whether to stay or not. Now, as as Christians, we certainly want to preserve marriages uh, any way that we can. But at the same time, the violation of the relationship has been so complete sometimes that to stay in the marriage is actually uh, uh, more sinful than getting out. 
Mm-hmm. Because the damage gets passed on to the kids. And it's just not living the life that God wants for us. Right. That is so true. And, and, and it's damaging to your health. It's damaging to your mental health. And like you said, it affects the children. Um, and then they have to go through counseling, and so it becomes a cycle. It's just like yes. a never-ending cycle. So that is true. And with, with you saying that, I was going to ask, um, what help is there out there for, you know, Christian spouses or even Christian teens who are experiencing domestic violence and they feel that they can't talk to anyone? Because I know um, I've experienced um, where I had people to share with me that, you know, they may not want to talk to the family or they don't want to talk to the pastor. They don't want them to know what's going on in the relationship or it may be even the issue that the pastor is the abuser. Um, so what help is there out there specifically for Christian spouses or Christian teens who may be in that domestic violence relationship? Well, let me start with the teens because um, every school has either a guidance counselor or a, a, a counselor for just these kinds of purposes. Now, I understand sometimes the teens they don't trust the counselor, they don't trust somebody that's in administration, etc. Um, but they're, they're bound by confidentiality laws and rules and can only say something with their permission. Um, the, uh, unless, of course, they've been abused. Um, uh, that's one of the things that confidentiality is broken mm-hmm. for. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say start with one of your favorite teachers and and start by just asking to talk to them after a class or after school um, about what's going on. Uh, that can possibly get a referral to a local area. If you don't want your parents to know, there are ways to get counseling um, in, in most states. Um, the... Um, And, and, and that too, uh, the, the church in the church, talk to your youth director, talk to your pastor. Um, I've unfortunately seen some churches where uh, the, 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 the confidentiality of the child isn't upheld sometimes by the pastor, unfortunately. So right. be, be careful and be selective. Um, uh, Sunday school teacher, just someone that you can trust and that will have your back, maybe one of the elders in the church. But find somebody to talk to because it's got to stop. You, you can't keep going on with everything the same way. And quite honestly, that's, that's part of uh, an unhealthy family system is that there's usually so much secrecy about what's going on in the family that everybody has had to sort of um, keep it quiet and not be talking about it outside and to to be doing that is uh, you're not loyal, you're not um, upholding the family uh, tradition, etc. And that's just wrong. There's a lot of help out here. There's a lot of support. And most of these groups that are out here are here to help you keep the family together, but to take the violence out and to stop the violence. The key issue in domestic violence, the number one issue is always safety. And that 
safety of the children, safety of the victim, um, you know, that if there's, uh, if you're in a relationship that's violent, get to a place that's safe and then turn around and look to see whether or not it's a, you're able to preserve it. Work with the professionals to do that. Work with your pastors to do that. And that's, that's true with adults as well. I mean, for women, uh, there are groups in shelters. Um, you don't have to be living in the shelter from, in most shelters to attend their groups. And they can uh, let you know what resources are available. They can connect you to resources that will help you get you on your feet if you want to, want to get started over. They'll also connect you to resources that will help you to preserve it. And that's key that you said, that you need to change and get out. And with that, I think a lot of the victims, and I'm sure you can agree, that are, are afraid to get out. And when they finally try to get out, like you said, it's already gotten to the point where um, the other person will not be willing to let you go. The only way that you'll get out is if they can take your life, and that's unfortunate. And so one of the things that I always tell teens and those that are in there, if you see it early, get out early. Don't wait until the last minute or don't wait until it's just so horrible that, you know, your life is at danger. Of course it's at danger the first time, but it's not as much. And you help me if I'm wrong, Dr. Keys, but not as much as if you've been in it longer. You're not wrong. In fact, every word you're saying is right on point. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I, I just, my heart goes out um, to all those that have been experiencing um, domestic violence in any shape, form, or fashion, and especially um, with the sex trafficking that's going on, because all of that goes in line, you know, and what you're saying about how they have to go through all those horrible abuses where you're basically abused if you do not. Um, submit to be trafficked and um, having sex with all of these uh, perpetrators. And so it's a never-ending cycle. And so we see well, it all over the world. Domestic violence sets, uh, sets up children, unfortunately, because uh, children in a domestic violence that see their parents in the middle of a domestic violence relationship uh, they reach out to others, they look for somebody to talk to, and unfortunately, sometimes that's a trafficker that is getting, trying to get close to them so that they can take advantage of them. And, I, you know, it, it, it's unfortunate, but they look for the very symptoms and the very uh, markers of uh, uh, that children often have coming from uh, homes that, are difficult and very dysfunctional. Right, and a lot of times, and oftentimes, um, the children also run away, and so that puts them at risk again for the traffickers because they don't want to be abused in the home anymore because maybe the parent is not only abusing the spouse, but they're abusing the children, and then for them to escape, they run away and run right in the arms of a trafficker. Yep. And that happens more times than I'd like to recount. And and unfortunately, in many, many countries, it's not just the United States. Oh, wow. Wow. That's, that's horrible. Well, I would like to thank you so much for your time today and sharing with our listeners. And I wanted to know, um, how can we give support to what you're doing and about your cause? And um, would you let the listeners know? 
Absolutely. Um, the Center for Trauma and uh, Resiliency Studies is uh, part of the university, uh, Divine Mercy University. Um, the center basically sponsors uh, trainings for students and people in the community. Uh, we're, uh, Str and, uh, we're in Sterling, Virginia, which is just outside of Washington, D.C. Uh, and our trainings, a lot of our trainings are available online, um, and not just uh, not just because of COVID, but uh, uh, they're available uh, really to anybody throughout the country. Um, and they can find us by just going to our website at uh, www.divinemercy.edu backslash CTRS. And you can also find out about uh, some of the research that we're doing and the advocacy work that we do. Um, Center stays pretty active. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And we will keep this information. And so I'll also, when I have the podcast notes, they'll have that information to be able to find you online as well. But, again, that's divinemercy.edu, and you can find Dr. Keys there as well as what he does and everything else that goes on along with what we have been talking about and discussing today. Um, is there anything else, Dr. Keys, before we uh, let the listeners go that you would like to give any last-minute words to for them? Absolutely. Uh, what I would like your listeners to know that if you are in, if you are in a relationship and there is domestic violence, there is hope. But please get help. Get to safety and get help. And for those that are in the battering cycle, there is also hope because get involved in one of the, the courses. They take volunteers all the time. Um, get involved in a domestic violence uh, treatment program. Thank you so much. And we would like to thank all the listeners for listening today to Taste the Tidbits. Again, this is Apostle Dr. Watkins. Thank you for jo joining in today and listening to us today. And we really appreciate your time. And we want you to get help. This whole month we've been talking about getting help. If you're in a relationship, abusive relationship, seek support, seek help so that you're able to get out of it um, because we don't want you to be another statistics. And with that being said, we would hope that you would join us again next week. You all have a great day, and we will talk to you again. God bless. God bless you, and thank you. Thank you for listening to Tasty Tidbits with Dr. Tiffany Watkins. If you're enjoying the show, feel free to subscribe, rate, and share with your friends. To learn more about Dr. Tiffany, check out her blog on goodreads.com or visit her website at www.renewedfaithministriesinc.com. Until next time, stay blessed.